my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. So we are continuing our series in the book of Philippians. Uh, we are in week two, and for the next couple weeks, we are going to look at Paul's letter to the Philippians. And this is a very special letter to Paul um, because this is at the end of his life. He has uh, planted so many churches, he's gone to so many different places, and he has found himself in prison because he had preached the gospel. And because of that, everybody is being encouraged because they know this is important. It wouldn't be important if somebody was just talking about nonsense and the government just threw him aside saying this is a crazy person. But he was making major impact in all of that part of the world. And the government wanted nothing to do with it. So they thought throwing him in prison and sentencing him to death would be the end of the Christians. But we see here that the Christians were encouraged and Christ, Christ's freedom was going to be continued to preach all over this area. And we are talking about, what we talked about last week was advancing the gospel. Where the main point talked about how we need to give our entire life to Jesus and not just our time. That when it comes to giving our life to Christ, it's about everything. It's just not about when you have time left or just about on Sunday mornings, or just little bitty times where you think of Christ or Jesus throughout the week. But it is your entire life that you give to Him. Even through Paul's chains, even through being beaten, even through continuing to preach, he understood that his time was not done, and he still needed to give his life, even though he was not in control in this moment. This week, we are continuing off that thought. Paul is continuing to talk about, and he looked around what was going on around him, and he looked at the people outside of prison, continuing to meet together, continuing to worship together, and in continuing to advance the gospel. And Paul gives this good guidance on how to live within fellowship of the believers. That if they're going to continue to push the gospel, they're going to continue to live together, there is some guidelines of good practices that we need to do in order to live in harmony with one another. So today's main point is this. The mind of Christ does not have a desire to win, but a posture of service. Did you know that there are some people in this world that have to learn to shut their mouth? Did you know that? There, are, there is not a good time for everything that comes to your mind. Like if something comes to your mind, you don't actually have to say it. Do you guys know that? Some people actually have to learn how to do that. Some of you guys are people pleasers and you don't want to say what's coming into your mind because you know that might hurt somebody's feelings. Some people have to learn that. And that is something that is going across the world today. 
We see it all online. We see it in our interactions with each other. We see that there's this desire to just share whatever comes to mind because whatever comes to mind, we think, is fact. And it's come to this conclusion that has just blown up into our face over time and probably because we are too worried about what we're going to say next than what is actually in front of us. That whenever we have a conversation with each other, we just say whatever first comes to our mind instead of actually reacting to what the person is saying across from us. If you know me, I'm a talker. I love to talk. Uh, I, I, for those who are in ministry and preach, uh, a lot of us can carry on conversations for a very long time. And if the conversation isn't going somewhere, we can actually further the conversation. It's, it, it brings joy to us. Some of us, some of you guys are thinking this might be a good thing. Some of you guys might think this is a burden for, for if you talk to me over time. Some people think it's good. Some people think it's bad that I can just continue to ramble on. Some people think it's a gift. And some think, people think it's highly annoying, depending on who you ask. But something me and my wife had to learn whenever we first got married was this exact thing. That just because we're having a conversation with each other doesn't mean that we have to say everything that comes to our mind. And it doesn't mean that we have to win every single conversation. That sometimes, that sometimes we need to actually listen to what the person across from us is saying and then actually respond to what the person is saying rather than just sharing whatever came up in our mind halfway through their sentence. But over time, if you don't figure this out, you realize that when it comes to video games, when it comes to board games, when it comes to relationships, when it comes to absolutely anything, this desire to win starts to brew up in us. That it's not about being a part of a team or having a conversation, but it's about dominating the conversation and about winning at the very end as long as your point got across. That is the most important thing. So what has been brewed inside of us is this desire to have absolute control and have this, this desire to win within us. We see it on social media all the time. I'm going to get my point across at all times because I deserve to be heard. And I'm going to get my point across at all times. It doesn't matter at what cost it is. It doesn't matter if it's Jonathan's grandmother. It doesn't matter if it's my grandmother. It doesn't matter if it's, if it's the most wonderful person in the world. If they say something and I disagree, I'm going to get it across because I have to win. Because I'm ready to fight in every moment. See, Paul was this exact person. See, he was trained from a very young age to have every single answer at the very beginning, that before the person finished the question, he could give 15 different answers and 15 different references in Scripture in order to get his point across, in order to dominate the conversation, to set that conversation on a path towards whatever he wanted. We saw that in his life whenever he interacted with Christians, and it said that he would put Christians in jail, that he would, put, he would sentence them to death. Why? Because he needed to win. Now he thought he was winning for God, but in, in his own selfish desires, he needed to win. 
But through Christ, we see a different type of Paul. Through Christ, we see that being with others who love Christ as much as him, he noticed when he's interacting with those people, there's something a lot different. And that is what we're going to talk about today in Philippians 2. So if you want to read along with me today, we're going to be in Philippians 2, 1 through 18. If you have your Bible, you can flip to that real quick. It's just the next chapter and what we were doing last week. If you don't have your Bible, that's okay. We have all the slides on the screen behind me. And if you have the Bible app, my outline is on there too. All the different points and all the different scriptures that I'm going to talk about today is on there. So if you would... Follow along with me in Philippians 2. We're going to read the first part in 1 through 11. It says this, Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, in your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being forced, found, sorry, being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalts, exalted him to the highest place. And gave him the name above every name, and at the, at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. See, I understand that relationships are hard. It seems that the studies that have come out about the previous generation and the older parts of millennials, we see that relationships are really difficult for us. That if you ask the normal person uh, if they have a very good friend or a best friend that they could go to and confide in, most people would say no. And if you found somebody that is married and you talk to them who their best friend is, or if they have friends, they would probably say, no, my best friend is my spouse and I spend all my time with my spouse. Which there's nothing wrong with that. But the reason is because we, in relationships, are very difficult. The reason that it's difficult with, amongst Christians, especially, is because our relationship is grounded on something that's not from this earth, but from heaven. Because of that, it is up to interpretation for those down here on earth. That's why everyone goes absolutely crazy when there's an absolute moral issue up for debate. We don't know how to handle ourselves. We go online and we start at each other's throats immediately. We have to share our opinions. We have to get our point across. We have to put others in their place. And we have to win. We have to win because if we win, 
then we know that we're the more moral person in the relationship. And we get to dictate where the relationship goes. But we see in this scripture that Paul completely throws that out. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort from His love, any common sharing in the Spirit, any tenderness or compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and mind. Not looking to your own interests, do, not, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself. If you have any, not complete agreement, not best friends for life agreement, not blood relation, no any encouragement from being united in Christ. We need to value others above ourselves. This means it's not about winning. It's about serving. If you want to win at something, win at being the best servant that you could possibly be to the person sitting to your right or left. What would happen? What would happen if both you and your best friend, both the person sitting to your right or to your left, tried to outdo the other person in service? One of the best marriage advices I was ever given before I was married, if you, have, if you want to have a great marriage, then try to outserve your spouse. Now, I have not been perfect at this, I can say. There's been times where my wife has outserved me a thousand to one, and I could probably count more than the fingers on my hands. But I can say that from day one, I have tried my best to serve my spouse today. That every time I wake up in the morning, I have made a decision that I'm going to try my best to make her life as easy as possible. Fully knowing that I will fail sometimes. That was the best marriage advice that I ever received. And the reason that it was the best is because we got that example from Jesus Christ. Paul encouraged us, us to have the same mindset as Jesus, where it said, who, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God, something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by making, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance of a man. He humbled himself to being obedient to death even death on the cross. But we ask ourselves, how is Jesus able to do that? How are we able to serve the person to our left and to our right the best of our ability? How are we supposed to come across another Christian and we make up our, up our mind that we're going to value them above ourselves in every situation? How are we going to do that? Well, I think Jesus was able to do that because he was secure in whose he was. Like Jesus, it's very easy to serve when it comes to being secure in your faith. If you're secure in your faith, no one can take away that from you. You don't have to win. You don't have to elevate yourself above anyone else. You don't have to 
make sure that you get what you deserve. You don't have to share your point because you deserve to share your point. Because you are secure in whose you are. You are the sons and daughter of God, daughters of God. You are heirs to the throne alongside Jesus Christ. Your sins were bought with a price of Jesus. And you are promised salvation through the eternity, through eternity in heaven. If this is all true, what purpose is there to win on this earth? There is nothing that will satisfy us more than Jesus Christ. We are fulfilled. Our cups are full. We are no longer judged by this earth, but by grace. So value others above ourselves is a sure thing. But, but I understand why we do it. Because we don't want to get hurt. If you humble yourself, if you lower yourself to become a servant, you lose the position of power. And when you have the power, you don't have to trust the response because you're in control. But a servant, you have to trust the other person. You have to trust that they won't take advantage of you. See, in a scale of 1 to 10, I want you to think about this. One being that you don't trust Christians at all, you don't want to do business with them, you, do, you don't even want them to come to your house, you'd rather watch the service online because you don't even want to talk to these people. That's the number one. In a 10, you have full trust. Like, you're like, you, you're welcome anytime. You can call me anytime, you can text me anytime, my door is always open. If you need anything, if you want to borrow my car, you want to borrow my house, you want to borrow some money, you can have it all, it's okay, I completely trust you. I want you to think about where you are on that scale. Depending on where you are, there's a reason for it. See, I'd say most people are four on that scale. There are so many different reasons why you are the way you are. It could be you trusted a boss and they took advantage of that trust. It could be you did some business with somebody that you thought was trustworthy and they did you wrong. It could even be a minister that you fully trusted and they fell from faith. They fell from grace. It could, have, it could be as small as you invited people over and over and over to your house or to do things and you get turned down over and over and over again and it hurts. And everywhere in between. So what, do you, what is it? What does it look like? When you have the appearance of valuing others above yourself. I understand that we do it to car, we guard ourselves. We want to guard from being hurt. We want to guard ourselves from somebody else having impact in our life. We want to guard it because we know if we're in control, if we control what we can control and we don't let other people control it, then we know we have a higher success rate of being happy and satisfied and joy rather than letting somebody else dictate what that feels like. But Paul, out of anybody, understands this. 
you remember last week we talked about when he was in prison, it says that other people are trying to make his life more miserable, and he is being wrongfully beaten in prison. They're withholding food from him. And these are supposed to be his brothers and sisters in Christ. They're supposed to look out for the people that are in prison. But this is what he says in response. Philippians 2, 12 through 18 says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but now much more in my absence, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Do everything without grumbling or arguing, so that you may be blameless and pure, children of God, without fault in this warped and crooked generation. Then you will shine among them like stars in the sky as you hold firmly to the word of life. And I will be able to boast, and I will be able to boast on the day of Christ that I did not run or labor in vain. But even I am being poured out like a drink offering on the sacrifice and service coming from your faith. I am glad and rejoice with you all. So you too should be glad and rejoice with me. Let me read one more part to you guys. Continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill the good purpose. Let me tell you this. It's okay to be a four on the scale. It's okay to be a five. If you remove the numbers altogether, it's okay to feel anything. Because Paul obviously felt it too. Jesus felt it too. The disciples felt it when one by one they are being killed because of following Jesus. But we don't stop. We don't stop at a four. We don't stop at a five. And we continue to work it out. The reason it says with fear and trembling is because our authority is not our own and we act as though we are under God. That we make a decision as though we are making it for God. That we make a decision as though God is the ruler and he's looking and watching every move that we make. We do it out of fear and trembling. See, tomorrow is July 4th. And a lot of us like to have a good time on July 4th. We like to celebrate with our friends and family. Some of you guys are going to do that today. Some of you guys like to go boating. You like to take out the grill. You like to grill up hot dogs. And you just laugh and have a good time on your day off as we celebrate our Independence Day from Great Britain. But I remember something very vastly different about July 4th and about our country as a whole. See, in 1954, the, the, uh, the nation adopted something in the Pledge of Allegiance. It said, one nation under God. It was a widely debated topic. 
and it was debated all the way until the pledge kind of slightly got removed from being said every day in schools. But everyone in here, I know, has that ingrained in your head since you were a very, very young kid. That I think I can go to anybody in this room today and say, can you say the Pledge of Allegiance to the United States? And I think that you could stand up and you can recite it perfectly because it was ingrained in our mind. We said it every day. Whether you realize it or not, the golden rule, sharing, finding the win-win in all scenarios, letting go, letting others go first, letting other people go in front of you, as soon as we walked into schools, was ingrained in our mind just by saying the Pledge of Allegiance. That when we said, one nation under God, we were acting as though we were not in authority of our life, whether we realized it or not. That when you talk to the non-Christians and they say, I am a good person, that is what they're talking about. They were talking about their posture of God, whether they know it or not. It says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility. Value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. See, when we build businesses, when we train up workers, when we raise our kids, everything was other people have a problem. We looked at every situation as somebody else had a problem and we were going to do our best to fix it. That we weren't looking to our own interests whenever we did things in our life, but we looked at the United States, we looked at the world, and we saw that there was problems in the world and we were going to do whatever it took, whether it was in our business, whether it was training, whether it was raising kids, whether it was anything, because we valued others above ourselves. But over time, it only takes one person. And a lot of us, it didn't take very long in elementary school for us to kind of throw that away because it only takes one person taking advantage of you for you no longer to value others above yourself. Not because you want to throw somebody down, but just because you want to protect yourself. Not because you want to take advantage of anybody, because, but because you don't want anybody taking advantage of you. So what we did is we built up a kingdom around us. Everybody owns their own home. Everybody has their own bank account. Everybody has their own stuff. And basically we threw everything into our work and hobbies. And we threw away friendship and community and worship and giving. Because you don't want to get hurt again. Why let somebody in? Why, let, why serve somebody else? Why look to the interest of others when they don't, have the in, their, they don't have my interest in mind. So I'm just not going to let them in. I'm going to ask the band to come back up. But when we read in this scripture, we see that Paul wants to completely throw that out completely. He says it starts with God, then it's others, and then it's you. And if you win... That means that God wins, that means that others win, and therefore you get the benefit and the joy of this scripture. 
Paul addresses the Christians saying, do everything out of, without grumbling or arguing, arguing so that you be, may become blameless and pure. If every Christian valued others above themselves and acted without grumbling or arguing, there would be no hurt. There would be no taking advantage of. And, there, and if somebody fell from grace, there'd be a hundred people surrounding them with their best interests and not looking to their own right off the bat. Saying, I can't believe that person, what that person did to me. Instead of looking to your own interest and saying that, they look to the interest of the other person who failed and go to them and say, we value you. I don't think I will ever forget this story. When I started in, in, in ministry, we went to a ministry event, and the speaker ended the story with this, and I don't think I will ever forget this story. He said that it came to his attention that the, uh, the online banking and what was actually in the bank account was not matching up, that their records in the bank were not matching up, and that pretty much means that somebody spent money that they weren't supposed to, or somebody was stealing from the offering plate. So he emailed all of his elders and said, hey, can we have kind of an emergency meeting because we kind of need to figure out what's going on. He wasn't looking to destroy anybody. He wasn't looking to throw anybody under the bus. He was really just looking to make sure that everything was okay. And all the elders come together, and they already know what they're going to talk about because of the email, but he kind of shares the full story, and he shares the bank account, and he shares all the information that he had gathered, and he said, who is in charge? Which elder right now is in charge of bringing the money from the church to the bank the next day? And the, and the, the elders realized that they kind of rotate this responsibility so not the same person has to do it and kind of get burnt out month after month and week after week. And the secretary speaks up and he, he, she mentioned this one elder's name. And as they look around the room, they realize that that elder was not there. So they immediately get up from their chairs and they drive to that elder's house and they start banging on his door repeatedly and there's no answer. So they waited a few moments and they banged again and they heard inside this broken voice that said, go away, you don't want to see me. So the guys start walking around the house trying to find some way into the house and they found a very small window in the bathroom. And one by one they slowly sneak into the house and they, they scour the house looking for this person and they finally go to the master bedroom and they find this elder in the fetal position screaming and crying, rocking back and forth with tears down his face. And those guys in that moment walked around the bed, got on the bed with him and embraced him. They all one by one looked at this elder and said, we value you. They did this because the mind of Christ does not have the desire to win, but has the posture of service. 
at Elevate Christian Church, and, and me as the main speaker and the, and, and, and the person who studies a lot of Scripture and presents it to you guys every single week, I have no interest and very little interest in first deciding to be a good person. But I have all the interest in the world of just pointing you guys further and further closer to Jesus Christ. I have all the desire in the world for, uh, for me not to stand up here and say, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this. I have no desire to do that, but I have all the desire in the world to say, we need to have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. That us at Elevate Christian Church, all of us together, all of us Christians, should have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. And that is the most important thing that we can do as Christians. It doesn't matter if you're a good person, if you don't have the mindset of Christ. It doesn't matter if you do nice things, if you don't have the mindset of Christ. Nothing matters unless we have this desire to be, have a posture of service. And if we want to make any impact outside of these walls, it first needs to start within here. When we look to the person to our left and to our right in every situation and we say, we value you. It doesn't matter if you fall from grace. I pray that all 50, 100 of us circle around you and we all look at you and say, we value you above everything else. That if we're wronged, we don't first look at our own interests and, and share exactly what's in our mind because we have to win. But we look to the interests of others and we point to them and say, I value you above everything else. I pray that this church is known for a church full of people that have the mind of Christ above everything else. That we don't look to our own interests but each of you to the interests of others. Dear my Father, I want to thank you so much for today and for this scripture and for Paul being vulnerable in this moment and sharing that above all else, no matter what's going on in the world, no matter if you're imprisoned or if you're sentenced to death, that we still value others above ourselves. We don't look into our own interests, but we look to the interests of others because we get this example from your son, Jesus. Every single one of us has the opportunity and the gift of grace. And I pray that we show that in every situation, no matter where we come from. That whenever somebody fails, whenever somebody show, falls from grace, that we all surround them in love. That we open up our hand to our brothers and sisters in Christ. And even though there's an opportunity to be taken advantage of, we do it anyways. Because you command us to do that. God, you are so good. I'm going to ask this all in your son's name. Amen.